Chinese menu in his hand. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the view of Wolfpack Research or any of its officers. The views and opinions expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on this program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. We are not investment advisors. We hold no registrations with the SEC, FINRA, or any other regulatory agency, and none of the opinions expressed on this podcast should be considered investment advice. The listener should assume that we have positions in and stand to benefit from any stock or other security mentioned on this podcast. Do your own research before making investment decisions. Welcome to the Wolf Den, everybody. This is Dan David coming back at you with the pack, as it were. That would be Carl, the sound guy. <laughs> we have a reoccurring guest. Returning champion. A returning champion, if you will. Sam Reynolds is back with us. Sam, as you remember, is a journalist with Blockworks based in Taipei. You know, for now, until China takes that back over. <laughs> Just around the corner. Blockworks financial media brand that delivers breaking news and premium insights on digital assets to millions of investors. Sam is going to talk to us about the microchip shortage, though, because he's very savvy in that world as well. He works at one of the largest news websites in the world, so he should be able to give us some great insights on something that I've really been wondering about. I actually reached out to Sam, and I'm, I'm like, hey, what's going on with this microchip? chip shortage. I mean, how is that the most valuable commodity in the world now? It, it seems to be more valuable than gold. Wafers are more valuable than gold. Sam, give us a, give us a brief history of uh, the microchip business to where we are now, and then, and then tell me why we're getting screwed. Yeah. So to be clear, the wafer is not gold. It's the finished wafer, the whole process. I'm, I'm telling you, there's a wafer shortage. I'm reading it all over. <laughs> I know you told me last week that the, the wafers are not necessarily part of the component that's short, but in, in article after article, it, do, it does say that there's a demand for those as well. Yes, everything. So uh, I'm currently actually in Portugal. Normally, I'm based in Taipei, in Taiwan, a small little island where most of the world's chips come from. And they come from Taiwan because back in the 80s, when we all started to outsource manufacturing, companies like um, the, the big tech companies back then, one of which was Philips from Europe, they figured out that it was more efficient to close down their chip factories and focus on chip design and outsource chip manufacturing to other vendors. And so from that, you get TSMC, uh, Taiwan Semiconductor, and Global Foundries, which are two of the most, I think, important companies right now in the world. Oh, I'd agree. I would agree. And, and where nominally are the other chip manufacturers? I, I know, uh, how, how much of it can, does come from Taiwan? Which, by the way, if, if, if I'm writing a 10K on, on the chip industry right now, I'm calling this a huge risk factor, <laughs> one tiny island. For, for sure, but to be clear though, right? So TSMC has foundries around the world. Uh, they've started to build foundries in Europe, for instance, to service the auto sector, because these days uh, vehicles come with more chips, everything from the uh, internal uh, processor to manage your gas flow, to infotainment, to airbags, it all requires chips. So. You're right in a way that it's one company that's reliant, the world's reliant on, but they're diversified geographically. So Japan, for instance, to uh, help out Canon 
with their image sensors to help out Toyota, Sony. And in the US and Arizona, they've started to build this big factory there to do things like uh, defense, for instance, satellites, the F-47, whatever comes next from the military industrial complex, yeah. servers to host uh, data for the government, stuff like that. So it's a Taiwanese company, but now with a global footprint. Well, now, I mean, like, I hear you say building. They're building in Europe. They're building in Arizona. Hey, man, we're short on this shit right now. So right. th that should have been built. But it's also a long process, right? As you can understand, these facilities are quite complex. You can't build it tomorrow. Elon it takes Musk could. <laughs> <laughs> he'll, he'll tweet it out. He'll tweet it out and, it'll, and you know. Funding secured. Well, no, I don't think so. Because, but within these factories, there are so many machines that are so complex that it takes time to build those as well. Well, for instance, I, I actually, you know, speaking on that, I, I've read, okay, so. I guess from what I understand, the semiconductor making these chips is at 99% capacity right now. That's yes. where we are at 99% and running way behind. And they're looking at their, their actual foundries and where they're manufacturing these. And they're saying, well, the equipment is old. Do we add more of this old equipment to increase capacity or do we invest in new technology? And the idea, I guess, is they're going to invest in new technology, which will also add more time. I mean, I'm not saying it's a bad idea, but when you're in a shortage, I mean, I don't know, get a spinning wheel out there and start producing energy <laughs> to get this done. Well, but we need this new technology, right? So one key term is called process node, and that more or less is the size of the transistors on this chip. And that's going down faster because the smaller it is, you can pack more into the chip that's more efficient. So for the new iPhone, for instance, they require a two nanometer process node. And that requires behind it equipment to burn the silicon, these very tiny uh, designs for the, for the silicon, for the chips. And this all comes from uh, the EU, a company called, uh, oh, fuck. Let me pause for a second. Is the company really called Opuff? <laughs> no, 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 that'd no, be, no. That'd be badass. Are they public? I want to buy yeah, that stock. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually crashed a company, Fab Universal, back in 2014, and their ticker symbol was FU. No kidding. <laughs> I swear. So with the process node, that is the step to get these chips more efficient, right? So the iPhone, for instance, requires a two nanometer process node. Yeah. And this requires behind it all these equipments to make these very fine designs. So one is called ASML, and that is in Holland. And these are the guys that make the equipment to burn into the, the wafers these very fine designs. Now, you might wonder, why isn't China big into chips? Like, of course, they have the demand. They have the brain power. That's the only thing they're behind on. Right. It's because their reliance on a Western supply chain, firms like ASML, which in turn have US IP. And the Trump White House sanctioned China and prohibited lots of these companies in their own supply chain from acquiring this technology. Like Huawei. They're working on building their own red supply chain. Right. But for the time being, uh, SMIC in Shanghai, they cannot compete with TSMC in Taiwan because their reliance is on equipment that is older. Yeah, 10 years so, older. It's about 10 years behind. 
well, more or less. So they've done this massive capital raise on domestic Chinese markets to have this Manhattan-like project to try and keep up with TSMC. But for the time being, they can't. Like you have the IP, you have these small lenses. It's all quite complex. And so right now the West has this huge advantage because while TSMC is a Taiwanese company, they're reliant on American IP and European manufacturers to actually build out these plants. Right. Listen, it's not like China's not known to cheat. So, I mean, if, if the estimate is 10 years to catch up, given their propensity to borrow technology, I, I would say it's less than five. Probably. Yes. So actually, for a prior job, I worked at IDC, a market research firm covering PCs and chips, and we'd have to go to TSMC to present sometimes our research. And to get into TSMC, it's like Fort Knox. Like, your laptop is locked down, right? Everything is closed off on there. You are searched, right? You can't bring in a bag. Yeah, just bring in your laptop in your hands like that. So they're well aware of the intensity of the IP theft from China. And trust me, like these companies are locked down and secure. That being said, though, you know, you're right, Carl, like this is an industry that is based on IP and that's something that China can steal quite well. Well, they could just take the island, too. <laughs> well, let, let, let's see about that. Well, I, mean, so yeah, far I, know, I know you and I disagree over that, and you should. You're in Taipei. I, I mean, <laughs> Sam, one of the other things, too, that I, I was looking through this, the the efficiency, I mean, it's older tech making it, but it's 300 steps just to make the, 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 the wafers. It's like a 40% waste in making the wafers. Um, and then it's a thousand steps to make the chip afterwards. It, it just seems like it's such a long process that I, I don't see why they haven't been all over trying to advance this before. I, it, well, it just, I think they are. That's, that's why they're doing, they're developing the new equipment. Well, they have, right? Like this process, while quite complex, has been commodified. So it's not for them hard to do, but realize that. These are incredibly complex facilities that require machines from around the world that require, you know, um, power hookups, water hookups, all that kind of stuff. There is some uh, dumb shit on Twitter named Huntsman who claims to be this uh, analyst for supply chain. And he claimed that TSMC is moving their fabs from Taiwan to the U.S. entirely, which is impossible because just the infrastructure alone in these buildings can't be moved. It's so complex. And ever? ever, because you have what you see in the machines and behind that is this very complex ecosystem of stuff. And they're building out in Taiwan, new facilities, you know, lots of them because demand is so high. But the problem is Taiwan doesn't have much water and power. Like they, uh, they have this uh, presence. Well, they're surrounded by water last I heard. Right, but that's <laughs> salt water. You need fresh water for yeah. this. Okay, And you can't desalinate without lots of power. And so uh, the current government has shut down the nuclear power plant that was supposed to be on online by now, Dumb. which is not very smart if you're an island that is surrounded by an unfriendly neighbor and you have a very power-intensive industry as well. So they want to diversify geographically just because of the lack of resources on the island as well. So that's another key thing to look at. Yeah, that was... That was really Japan's problem in uh, the 30s and 40s. They were always they were always going to be an island. Yeah, and then then what and, happened? Uh, and, and, yeah, and yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, mineral mineral resource poor. 
So, okay. We, we've, we've got these microchips, which nobody really cared about, you know, five years ago, two years ago, maybe even. And you, you talk about how many phones have been sold lately. And, and by the way, I'm going to make the point that the last three iPhones are the same fucking iPhone. <laughs> and, and I'm getting a little tired of that. Yeah. But you're saying part of the demand when we were speaking is that we've sold during the pandemic so many more phones and computers and what else? Well, everything now requires chips, right? So first of all, we moved from uh, work from office to work from home in March of last year, and that created a PC super cycle. So we need new PCs to work from home. The kids for their remote schooling needed PCs. So you have the likes of like Dell, Asus, Acer, the whole nine yards now demanding more and more chips. You have, uh, you know, TVs, smart TVs, you have game consoles, you have cars packed full of infotainment. So things like the GPS, the maps, that kind of stuff, entertainment, requiring more chips. Well, so, I want to know why you can't get a car. I mean, like, you, you, I can get a PC, I can get a phone, but I, I think I shared with you, I, mm. was, I was back in Flint, the Flint area, I think the birthplace of General Motors, just a few months ago visiting family. And there's, there's one dealer who owns like seven dealerships in a row, right? I mean, everything you can think of from, from GMC to, you know, Ford, Subaru, Honda, whatever, you name it, all seven in a row. You drive through that parking lot and there's not seven new cars for sale. I mean, there's thousands of used cars, but there's not like seven new cars in, in what used to have thousands of new cars for sale just a year or two ago. So how did they get pushed to the back of the line? Because Toyota, Ford, and the likes aren't used to navigating this market. It's not their market to, to work with. And while they could supply chips in a market that was full of them, when things got tough, they don't have the chops or the experience to navigate it like a Tesla can or like a, a Dell can or an Apple. They're not native tech companies. And at the same time, these vehicles are more and more connected. They're reliant on chips inside them. So you have this confluence of their lack of experience navigating the turbulent markets for semiconductors and the requirement to put more of them in the vehicle. So perhaps in like 15, 20 years, different story, but they were caught flat-footed by this market that was quite turbulent. So what would you say, on a vehicle that's a 2022, how many more chips does it have in it than, say, a vehicle three or four years old? Well, it's tough to quantify directly, right? But the thing is, if you look at the features on the new car, um, things like the electric motor or the hybrid motor or how it syncs to your smartphone or how it's got this enhanced GPS, how the headlights dim automatically, all that stuff requires a brain somewhere, and that's a chip. Yeah, how it parks for you. Yeah. Well, even like uh, the, the new Wrangler, if you look at in uh, the old Jeep Wrangler, right, you would think it's the rugged of most rugged. The new Wrangler has a digital speedometer and digital readout over the steering wheel where it used to be the old, you know, needle or whatever it was. Everything is electronic now, even in Wrangler, which is supposed to be the rugged of most rugged off-road don't vehicles. Don't even tell me you're getting a Wrangler. <laughs> Are you going to wear like a flannel shirt with a Wrangler? I... I I do have a jacket with some fringes on it. Uh, 
I tell you, you get one of those Wranglers with a flannel shirt, and you look like a gigantic lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just, I want a picture of it. Flashback to my grunge days. These vehicles are more like a, a plane now, right? They move to what's called fly, a drive-by wire. So when you drive, the vehicle tries to ensure that the speed, you know, you can't make a sharp turn too much, stuff like that. So that also requires pretty intensive computation. And so that, you know, has more chips in it. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I get that. I just don't, I don't know that, that it's changed that much. I mean, I've got like a, a you know, a four-year-old Escalade and it's got all the stuff that you're mentioning in it already. So I don't know how many more chips got thrown into it in the last four or five years. I just know that most of the things that you're, you're saying require chips you can get. I seem to see a shortage in kind of two things, really vehicles, cars, and appliances, believe it or not, like, you know, washers, dryers, and things of that nature. You can't necessarily go into a home Depot and just like pick one off the, shelf anymore i guess that maybe speaks to the same thing you were talking about that they weren't really tech companies to begin with so they couldn't navigate exactly so the whirlpools of the world they can't navigate the market so when they have their order book for chips it's placed years in advance and so while they could fulfill that up until 2020 that next order book going forward has to compete with the likes of apple and stuff the exception here is Samsung because Samsung is integrated right. vertically and they actually have their own foundries. So you can buy a Samsung smart fridge because it's sourced from Samsung's foundries and Samsung's manufacturing versus other companies that rely on this supply chain that is quite fragile. So how many U.S.-based companies produce microchips in the U.S.? So right now you've got TSMC. They have their older foundries in well, New that's York. That's not a U.S.-based company, though. Well, they are in the U.S. But they're not a right? U.S.-based company. If you're asking, okay, if you're asking for U.S.-owned companies, yeah. well, that would be Intel. Uh, so Intel, their new CEO, has pushed towards being agnostic with their uh, chip And they're always proprietary. They would, not, they would not sell to anything that wasn't Intel. Correct. So until recently... Intel's foundries were for Intel itself, but they've realized that there's a business now in having this pure play foundry that's open and agnostic to the customers. So AMD, for instance, they rely on the likes of Global Foundries, TSMC, to make their chips. Intel is all in-house, but Intel's realized there's a big business now. And so they've opened this Arizona facility to uh, build out chips in the U.S., and Arizona has really bankrolled these guys with some massive tax credits for salaries, for payroll tax, to open up shop and state and start making these facilities. Well, China's doing the same thing. Of course. Yeah, you, you have to do that because that's the nature of capitalism these days. Right. The state has to play a role in this. It's a dirty business, but it's reality. Is this, uh, how long do you see this? I mean, what's the, what's the future? Tell us about the future. Where do you think this goes? Yeah, there's not really a clear indication of when the supply chain, uh, you know, gets more uh, eased up, right? So we, the forecast I've seen show that the next two years and three years still look a lot like this year. Oh, that's wow. Gonna be, it's going to be quite difficult to source things. Uh, that's partially because of the lack of fab space, because of the competition there, and also because of supply chains. Like if you look at right now, 
all these container ships are stuck outside ports. Um, uh-huh. You have to air freight stuff, and there aren't enough pilots because they got laid off when COVID hit. <laughs> so it. I blame, aircraft, I, I blame Pete Buttigieg. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, <laughs> uh, Pre- President Biden said the other day that whether you have a, a law school degree or you're just a blue collar guy, you don't know what supply chain means. So. Uh, that's probably the first thing I agree with in a long time there. Right. Yeah. I mean, supply chain can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different industries, but you know, we do know what it means when we see hundreds, if not thousands of tankers just, you know, anchored <laughs> outside of call it, Los Angeles or on the East Coast and New York and, and, and elsewhere. It seems like, I mean, I mean, what's the issue there? I mean, what are you, what are you hearing with that, Sam? Why can't we get these containers off ships? Well, it's a labor shortage because you have to pay people at the ports to move these things off the ships. And Well, I had no a- idea that longshoremen made minimum wage. Last I heard, they were making in the <laughs> mid-six figures, you know, or right. 150, 200 grand a year. Yeah. Well, still, though, just to get a person into that role is tough because there are other jobs, you know, out there as well. And the other thing is you have these unions that protect the longshoremen and protect these ports, right? So the idea is that they're heavily uh, to the T uh, organized, and it's tough to get people in the role because of uh, the big union guys up in New York, the big mafiosos. Wow. Uh, <laughs> not saying that uh, organized. I think we've got an anti-union guy here. Right, right. created the trade of longshoremen's, but there is that. Some of my friends from Flint are going to come visit you. (laughs) Where did you say you were, Portugal? (laughs) For now. We'll uh, talk on the road in a few days. So, uh, yeah, it's it's based on our, uh, in in a way you're saying it's based on our our system. Uh, Our system has been taken advantage of here, right? Where uh, almost everything, nothing streamlined. It takes forever to... It's like people like the reason they're moving out of California. You can't get an approval to build something for years and years and years. I think I think it was Bill Maher that said he uh, he bought the solar. Yeah, it took him over five years to get it put in. Yeah, yeah, because of approvals. Sure, but that being said, though, like Arizona's worked really quickly to get stuff going there. Right, they've worked hard to get things approved, but the fact is, it's just it's so complicated to build these facilities. It's going to take time. It takes a lot of time to get these, uh, you know, broken ground and, you know, built. Now, you say Intel's facility in Arizona is already built? They're working on it. It's already built. It'll be done before TSMC, right? But still, it's still a year away. Okay. So, it's not, it's, it's not uh, producing? Not yet, no. Okay. Yeah. Well, I guess the shortage continues. What, what does the average A person who's looking to make long-term purchases start to think in these next in terms of the next six months to a year and an investor i mean it sounds like an investor ought to be buying intel yeah so you have a whole list of stocks that supply this supply chain right so you have uh, tsmc intel global foundries and then behind that these millions of small enterprises in taiwan and europe which give the parts to these factories right the machines for lithography the machines for this and that so you have you know this long tail of companies that provide equipment to this industry. Um, but also, if you're an investor, look out for price creep. Look out for the cost of PCs, the cost of smartphones going up and up over these next uh, two years. 
Uh, you've had in the last decade price compression in the PC market, for instance, the race to the bottom. But now, just given the lack of inventory uh, in the supply chain, you have the opposite now, a race to the top in prices. Yeah, the transitory inflation <laughs> thing, right? The keyword, yes. Yeah. 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 So, hmm. Okay, well, I don't think there's any big surprises here. I, you know, I appreciate you explaining what you're hearing as a, as, as a kind of insider and a writer in this market. And it's great to see that you are a breadth of knowledge. You're not just a Bitcoin billionaire. You know, <laughs> you're not just a pretty face. <laughs> well, I, I try, but uh, yeah. So, but the thing, the glory thing about crypto, it's just so great is that it'll touch all these markets. So one day you're talking about the lack of supply chain um, to build crypto miners. One day you're talking about how China is trying to cut off the industry of mining in, in country. So you have all these verticals in this broader family of crypto, which makes the industry so fascinating. I guess the, with the computing power it takes to, to mine, that, that, that probably contributes to the chip shortage too. Yes and no. another so, reason I hate you crypto tards. <laughs> <laughs> what I've heard is that these uh, TSMC hates the crypto industry as they're a fair weather friend. Really? In the crypto crash of 2018, orders were canceled like crazy because the price went down so dramatically. Uh -huh. but, but now, right, they can't get enough of this. So it's to their annoyance that crypto wants to, you know, buy out some um, fab time to build these miners. Well, they should get put in the back of the line. I want my car. <laughs> yeah. But what's more, what's more valuable, Bitcoin or your car? Mm. I mean, ask me tomorrow. Would it go down four thousand dollars the other day, and now it's back up another ten? Uh, it's it's it, it, look. I've always said it's here to stay. I just it's tough to understand because as, as we had talked about in, in, in our previous conversations, everybody's got a view on, you know, which Bitcoin is the one to go with and which one's junk and you're going to lose all your money. The and, shit coins. Right. And then they trot out some old dinosaur from a seventies billionaire that says it's worthless. <laughs> you know, <I> mean, <laughs> oh, the, the squid game one that the fake uh, squid game one that went up to, to like 4,000 and then went to zero and, People lost their asses. I have no idea what you're talking about. They right. came out with a squid game, squid coin. Oh, they did. And all the idiots bought into it and went up to like 4,000 and then dropped down to like nothing. How often does well, that happen, Sam? Well, it's a problem with the media. So the media covered this as if it were a legitimate Netflix authorized project, which it <laughs> wasn't. And so I, I think the lack of familiarity of the mainstream press with crypto least narratives like this where you have this fun new shiny token that gets pumped up and then people get liquidated down the road right <laughs> that's a very nice way to say you lost your ass <laughs> well, i think that's a fair explanation and 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 i but but it's also a reason people shy away from it they don't want to be you know they don't necessarily want to pay sixty thousand dollars for one coin right now but they'd like to they'd like to get in where where bitcoin was five years ago or btc but it's fraught with peril on some of these altcoins, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, that's the, the, the complex part of the industry, right? I mean, for the retail plebs, you have now this Bitcoin ETF that can be used to put in your uh, RIA or in Canada, TFSA, stuff like that, right? But 
I think as the nature of crypto matures, the asset class itself will become invaluable because it'll be so disruptive to banks, so disruptive to the whole Thank idea God. that banks have a monopoly on the transmission of capital. Good. <laughs> yeah. that, that I'm all for. All right. Anything else to say on the chip shortage or microchips in general? I mean, from the investor's point of view or the buyer's point of view? Yeah, so it's a very complex supply chain that's reliant on thousands of companies around the world, reliant on geopolitics, reliant on resources. And this is not something that can be built up overnight in the US, just because it's so complex. So I think for the investors, realize that it's a big, broad, long-term play where demand for chips will never really expire. And so a foundry is always a good buy. I mean, I'm not going to advocate buying a stock, but obviously, you know, foundries are the new oil refineries of this era. Right. And how many, uh, just out of curiosity, how many rare earths go into any said given chip? Dozens. And they're mostly from either China or Africa. So Ooh. China's colonial ambitions in Africa are to secure Africa's supply of rare earths. Now, up in Canada, we also have the same rare earths. We have them here too. Lovely, right. But unfortunately, you know, these lovely leftist governments in power in the US and Canada just shudder the fact that we have to mine stuff in on the continent, right? Yeah. That's something to do yeah. overseas. But this is the new oil. It's the new material we desperately need to build Elon Musk's EVs, to build your tablets, to build your notebooks. Your smartphones. Your smartphones, everything. Yeah. Or the things we love most, bombs, <laughs> guided missiles. Or, yes, they're connected devices, IoT. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I think we should probably make friends with Venezuela, right? Because they have a shit ton of rare earths in, in Venezuela as well. Maybe, maybe the most in South America, not to mention oil. But we can't seem to get that relationship down. Well, also Chile as well. They're somewhat friendly. Uh, it's a great inflation play. Rare earths typically, you know, are what to hold when the dollar goes to shit. Right. And our issue with, I mean, we have rare earths in our backyard. I mean, most people, whether they know it or not, one or two anyway. But it, it's not as if you can pick it up and it's worth something. It's the mining and refining of it that is not only difficult, but toxic. And what do you do with that toxin? Well, I mean, it was toxic. If you do it cheaply, it's toxic. But I think they've got a really bad rap that's unfair because these modern mining companies are so conscientious of the environment. Which one would that be? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Don't open a, that barrel. Don't open that barrel over there. <laughs> that's a, you didn't see that. Yeah. Tough audience, I, I take it. Well, I mean, I'm just, I'm just wondering what would, what mining company is 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 other than following a regulation to the gray line, <laughs> which one is so environmentally conscious? And well, uh, Tech Kaminko from Vancouver, I think, really tries to uh, do well in that regard, right? I hate the term ESG. It's a dumb term. It's fake. But they are conscientious of the fact that we can't destroy the earth to get out these minerals. There is, within North America, this new generation of miners that are well aware of the consequence of mining and well aware of the politics of mining as well and how things can easily you know, go south if you find in the river toxic this, in the soil toxic that. So 
if we want to resolve this chip shortage and make sure that we're not reliant on China, let's let our miners yeah. do the work that they do well. I, I, I would agree with that, without a doubt. And I, I, hate, I hate the term ESG as well, only because there's really never any G. <laughs> You might have an E and you might have an S in there, but there's there's never a G. Right. The governance factor, your favorite topic. <laughs> yeah, no, the, or, or lack of. All lack right. Of. Well, listen, I mean, it's always fascinating speaking to you, Sam. I, you know, you're, you're, you're a, a resource. I, I suggest people follow Sam wherever they can in his missives when he's writing or on Twitter or how can they contact you and follow you, Sam? Tell them. Yeah, so Twitter at uh, the Sam Reynolds, and so I'll actually be in London next week for a Blockwork Summit. So if you're in London, come out and say hi. If you're a mafioso attached to longshoreman, <laughs> your union uh, boss, don't say, don't say hi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you'll never if, see that coming, pal. You can't pack heat in the UK, unfortunately, but uh, it's what it is. Yeah, yeah. Well, when you when you come in stateside again, because we can apparently. Yeah. So great question. Soon. Uh, Q1 next year, we'll get some beers in Philly, Dan. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, 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 no. Uh, this time I'm going to have you visit my hometown in Flint. Uh, well, okay. We, we, cool. I, I will show you what a thug really looks like. <laughs> <laughs> You'll love it. What have I done? My God. All right. Sam Reynolds, always, always a great guest. I think he is our returning champion. He'll he return is. again on a, a variety of issues because he's just so informed. Thanks for joining us, Sam. If you like what you heard, please give us a like, give us a retweet. If you don't like it, well, then you don't really know what supply chain is anyway. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. And to our listeners, thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, leave us a comment. Give us a retweet. Follow us on Twitter. Thanks for joining us.